when you have those high cortisol moments that linger after a game, you actually play worse the next game, even if it's days or a week later. Have you ever wondered what makes a great coach? As someone that has played sports and coached for basically my entire life, I can tell you it's something I personally thought about a ton. And while I think you need to have basic criteria in there, a high level of success, a deep understanding of the X's and O's, etc., I also think there's more to it than just that. I think great coaches fundamentally change the clients and athletes they work with for the better. They teach them lessons that transcend either the weight room or sport and ultimately help them grow into even better human beings. And that's why I'm so honored to have a truly world-class coach on here today, Steve Magnus. Steve is a world-renowned expert on health and human performance. He is the co-author of the best-selling books, Peak Performance and The Passion Paradox, and the author of The Science of Running. And his new book, Do Hard Things, is arguably his best work, in my humble opinion. Steve's work has appeared in Sports Illustrated, Wired, Outside, New York Magazine, and Forbes. Oh, and by the way, he just so happens to be one heck of a coach to boot. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything that can help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as a coach myself for over 22 years, I'm always looking for ways to make myself better. But in this episode, I not only found myself looking for ways to get better, but also reflecting on the coaches that I've had in the past and how they've helped shape or mold me along the way. We'll talk about the basketball coach, who legitimately screamed and yelled his way to a point that I no longer love the game. We'll talk about my first volleyball coach, whose infectious love and enthusiasm made me want to become the best player and athlete that I could. But trust me, this episode isn't just about me reliving my glory days. Steve and I cover a ton of topics, starting with what toughness is and why it may not be your authoritarian type coach like Bobby Knight or a Bear Bryant. We'll talk about how you can find your own personal and unique coaching style versus simply following the crowd. In one of my favorite parts of the show, we talk about the old school thought process of using conditioning to punish athletes and what you should be doing instead. And last but not least, we talk about how we can teach our clients and athletes the value of trusting the training process while not being married to the outcomes which we can't always control. This was an absolutely amazing episode with Steve, so we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna jump right in. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, 
you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym. From squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Steve, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Mike. I I appreciate it. Um, A little bit about myself, sure. My background is in running. So I was a very good high school runner. I ran a four minute and one second mile in high school. And then, yeah, (laughs) that's all. So, so I was a really good runner. My background is in that, but then I didn't improve at all in college. And then when I raced beyond that, a little post-collegiately, and that really got me interested in coaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, So first specifically in running and track and field and all that good stuff is almost out of my own failures. I'm like, well, what happened here? So I went down this rabbit hole of well, let's, let's understand the physiology. Let's understand the psychology and like, you know, see if I can help people get better. And I, I enjoy it. So that's what I, I did, especially in track and field for a long time. I coached, uh, professionals, still coach some professional runners, uh, coached in the college world for nine years. And then about a year ago, stepped away from the college world because, you know, my, um, my writing had expanded, but more so like helping people in the coaching world. I, I branched out away from just the running world that I, yes. I was comfortable with and, and lived in and needed the space to kind of pursue a, a bunch of different things, which is where I'm at right now. I love it, man. I love it. And what got you started in like the question I generally lead with is like, what got you into physical preparation? But like maybe along those same lines, like what got you into running? Because for a one mile, like I wouldn't even bother to tell you what my one mile was because uh, I know I had to run it in basketball, but it was not four minutes. So what got you into this whole space in the beginning? You know, that's a great question. Um, so initially I was good at running. I remember uh, probably like many of you, like running the PE physical fitness mile test, yeah. right? And I'd always do very well at that. But it was always so dang hard. Mm -hmm. Like, I can still vividly, like decades later, remember in fifth grade, just being exhausted after, you know, running this mile test and being like, I actually, I had to be carried back into the classroom because (laughs) I I ran so hard. Yeah. Um, So I always had that, but I hated, I hated that aspect of it. Right. So during that time, I, I saw myself as a soccer player and I played soccer and I loved it. And did the, you know, the select, the travel teams, all that jazz that that youth soccer entails. And I did that all the way up until I got into high school. And the track coach from my high school recruited me 
um, because, you know, I did well in junior high track. I ran it, but I was just staying fit for soccer. And he said, hey, Steve, like, we really want you to come out for cross country. You could help the team. Don't worry. Soccer is in the spring in Texas, so you'll be fine. So sure, sure, let's do it. And I go out for cross country and I still remember my first my first practice. Um, he just told all of us to stick with the varsity kid, the best kid on the team and for as long as we could. And I ended up sticking with him for nine miles and then stopping and throwing up. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. And at that at, at that point, I hadn't run like nine miles was not like I hadn't run anywhere close to that. Right. And after that, I remember the coach coming over and says, Steve, you have no idea what you just did, but you can be really good. And I was like, oh, whatever. I'm going to play soccer. <laughs> and then the the first meet, uh, cross country meet, I ended up win, like winning the freshman um freshman you know title or whatever right against some of the best you know a team cross-country teams in the state and got moved up to varsity and did well and and i remember about you know three or four meets in the, uh, my coach says steve you need to quit soccer <laughs> like you can really be good um and i did like that's what i chose because at that moment i'm like here's this adult who you know is a coach who you respect authority figures and he was successful and he's and, he, and he's telling me like i remember him like sending videos home of like past uh, olympics and telling me about you know jim ryan and what he did in high school and the olympics and stuff and he's saying like steve you need to watch this stuff and i it's funny i remember again once i got into track season he says he, he pulled me aside and said, Steve, like you have a chance to run a, a sub four minute mile in high school. At that time, only I think three people had done that. And I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that, but OK, I'll look into it. And I didn't quite get there, but I think it's so prescient that that he kind of planted that seed. Yeah. But e ever since then, I was hooked on running like I didn't I gave up soccer and just loved like fell in love with the sport that I once hated. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so something else I'm really interested in, it's funny because I don't know if you know who Nate Green is, but Nate used to write for T-Nation and Precision Nutrition, all these, so I've got two writers basically on consecutively on the show, but I'm fascinated about, you know, somebody like yourself who was obviously a successful athlete, a successful coach, now you're known as a successful writer. Like, when did that start? How did you get excited about writing or think, oh, this is something I kind of like. Maybe I could be good at this. So, so much like my my running story, I started very reluctantly. Okay. Uh, it started as a way to like explore these ideas and coaching that I wanted to explore, and I just started like everyone in the early or the mid two thousands, which was like, you know, write a blog and yes. and start tracking things. Right? Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> that that's what you did so yeah. that's what that's what i did and it was you know you go back and read some of that stuff and it's the ideas are might be okay but the writing is horrible mm -hmm. um and then my first book which was science of running came about actually out of kind of a little bit of desperation is i was into my coaching career but i was now called coaching in college but i found myself in a situation where i had to blow the whistle on things that i saw in my first job in the professional world mm. and i saw some anti-doping things and i blew the whistle with usada 
And I knew that there was a high chance that because this was like, you know, with I'll just say it with Nike, it's all out there. Google right. it. Um, and I knew like, oh, my gosh, like I could lose my job. I could never coach again. Right. So be before it came out publicly, I remember thinking like I'm, you know, three, four years into my coaching career. You don't make a lot of money early on in coaching, especially in track and field. And I didn't have a lot of savings. And I'm sitting there like. I need something to fall back on in case I get fired. Yeah. So the idea that came was, well, I'm just going to write a book about running and coaching and training and hardcore stuff that I want to. So that is where my writing career started. And what I learned through that process is that, hey, I really enjoyed a like communicating things to people. And then afterwards, kind of the I realized, oh, this is a platform where in my coaching, I only affect the 20 or 25 people on the team. When I write yeah. something, I'm able to impact, you know, thousands upon thousands of people and, and hopefully make, you know, change some ideas. And again, I kind of fell in love with it after that. I love it. Yeah, it's funny because there are a lot of us as coaches, we're reluctant to step on a stage and speak or to write an article or sometimes even get on a podcast. But when you think about it as, hey, this is just an extension or it's like a natural segue, you're naturally a communicator on some level, right? Now it's just doing it in front of more people. But it's funny that you say that because I'm the exact same way. Like that was a big thing that got me into writing and speaking and hosting a podcast. Like all this stuff is the ability to leverage the discussions like this and share it with so many more people. You know what I mean? It's like such a powerful tool when you think of what you can do via the internet or a book or something like that. It, exactly. I think that's what it's all about is it's, it really is an extension of coaching and it's, it's hopefully uh, taking your hard work earned wisdom and, you know, passing that along so that it's not just, you know, the, the athlete sitting across from you who gets yes. it, but a much wider audience, which hopefully lifts us all up and also makes your ideas stronger because now you have other people who, you know, can say, Hey, Steve, you know, I don't know about this one, or can you explain this, this better? And it, it almost stress tests your ideas and thoughts, which I think is highly valuable as well. I agree, man. Okay. So obviously just released a new book and I feel like a little bit like I'm like the host on the today show, right? Like interviewing you, like the big celebrity, but one thing I want to start with, like you led with an anecdote about Bob Knight in this book, right? And so I'm going to yeah. I'm going to take my little 1 minute here and, and explain my background because I grew up loving basketball, right? Like I thought, you know, I'm a I'm a basketball player through and through. I love the sport. I'm going to play in college or professionally again, naive kid coming up from Indiana. You think that's possible, right? Now as I get into high school, I've got a very authoritarian type coach and it just so happens his mentor, like maybe not directly, but indirectly is Bobby Knight, right? So this guy over the next three, really four years, because he coached me directly for three of the four and indirectly in that fourth and just beat the love of basketball out of me, right? And now your your story, and I don't want to give away the whole book, but is about how like, hey, maybe these authoritarian coaches that we revere and that preach toughness maybe aren't the best and maybe aren't the people we should be looking at. So the question in all of this is, how should our idea of toughness evolve or maybe how has it evolved over the last 15 to 20 years? Yeah, 
you know, thanks for sharing that. That's that's interesting, by the way. And that's yeah. also, you know, in researching and writing the book, I heard so many stories, both from contemporaries and then historically, of people who I would say loved a game and had some talent in it, but were driven away because of that. And I think if you look at our, our view of toughness, that's kind of how it's evolved or is hopefully evolving is for a long time, we had this survival of the fittest mentality, yep. which is just like beat people to, you know, beat people to death, control power, dictate and demand. And if you do that, the tough ones will survive and they'll, they'll get better. Yeah. But what happens is that's not developing athletes. That's not developing the talent you have. That's against uh, essentially throwing eggs against the wall and seeing what ones survive. And I think there's two things that are wrong. First, it greatly limits your talent pool. Yeah. And there's no like research or no indication that the ones who are quote unquote the toughest are actually, or the best athletes actually do survive. Yeah. Often it's the ones who just survive out of necessity. There's some, a brilliant story, I won't give it away, in, uh, about the famous Junction Boys camp with Paul Bear Bryant. And if you look at the athletes who quit, it's like a long list of superlatives of people who were like all of, who went on to be all Americans in other sports or play professionally after they quit or became war heroes. And right. I couldn't even include all the stories because there were all these great people who just said, like, essentially, this sucks. Yeah. I'm going to take, I'm going to take my talent somewhere else and use it in that domain. Yeah. And there's, there's no doubt about it that we could have had, they could have been great football players, but instead they, they chose elsewhere. And I think that's often what happens. And then the other side of this, okay, what do we get wrong on toughness is that toughness is a skill that can be developed and trained and the way to do so is not that authoritarian discipline demand style, but it's creating the support so that people can challenge themselves in a way and to explore and sit with that discomfort and learn how to navigate difficult things out of a place of exploration instead of fear. Because when we, we create that space of fear, well, what happens if you're, you're you know, performing out of fear? You start playing not to lose. You start playing not to make mistakes. You're not going to take healthy risks. You're going to play it safe. So we're, we're even ingraining kind of the wrong mental model for what we know is uh, the best way to perform or, or play up to our, our capabilities. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Literally, this is like my next question. So you're like reading my mind. But like that was another thing that I think probably most authoritarian coaches kind of lord over you, right? And they drive in this fear of failure. And again, this was something for me in, in the world of basketball, right? Or, or most sports, there is an element of flow, right? Of creative reactivity. Something happens, you respond. Well, if you're afraid of making mistakes or afraid of failure, you don't play that way, right? So you're tight. When you do make a mistake, it gets compounded or it gets worse. So like, how can we... How can we shift that? How can we take that fear of failure away from athletes? And and obviously, we don't want them to make mistakes, right? Like, especially in a pressure situation. So how do we let them know that, hey, mistakes are okay, and we are trying to learn from them or evolve from them going forward? Yeah, it's and you're spot on. When everybody knows this, when you start forcing things or getting tight, you don't perform well. 
Yes. So, so to me, it's how do we create the environment? If you're a coach, especially, how do we create the environment where, yes, you don't want people to mess up. Yes, of course, you you want to hold high standards and all that good stuff, but you create the environment where they know, where players know that you are doing it from a place of care, support, wanting everyone to get better. Yes. Wanting the team to succeed because like not just because of, you know, your ego or your salary or your job depends on it, but because like you want to help people. If you can create that environment, then it's not about like, hey, you should be soft and always a player's coach. There's room for like being intense and demanding and all that stuff but it has to come from that place out of genuine care and support yeah and if if it doesn't the athletes see through it and the other thing uh the the other thing that i think is really important maybe this is more a little more tactical is that your behavior as a coach when something goes horribly wrong or when you lose a tough game will dictate what the athlete thinks So if I respond after a a loss for whatever reason and just berate, scream, yell, and blame the players for everything, what happens? You ingrain this like, oh, man, I better not mess up because I'm going to be punished or yelled at or screamed at, you know, by the coach and it'll be all on me. Yeah. If you if you lose and you say like, hey you know, we're in this together. This really freaking sucks. And I'm upset or whatever. And I'm mad and I'm pissed off. That's okay. You know, express those emotions, but like, this is on me. It's on all of us. Like, how are we going to figure this out? Yeah. I love that. And that's what it's all about. And, And that's how you frame things. You know, I love that. So here's the clearest distinction I have. And it's funny because you were an athlete. I was an athlete growing up. And obviously the coaches that we had impacted us, right? You had this coach that very positively impacted you. And so I go straight from basketball my junior year into volleyball season. And I clearly remember we go up and we play the best ranked team in the state in Fort Wayne. And we were beat before we got on the court, right? Like we're watching these guys. They're all like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, they're dunking volleyballs as they're warm up. And they go out and they... They beat our ass like it was bad. And I still remember, you know, I'm I'm just fearing what's going to happen when we get on the team bus, right? Because I know how this would go down in basketball. I know we're going to get yelled at and berated. And now we're thinking about the conditioning we're going to do later, you know, the next session. And our coach comes in, huge smile on his face and just starts clapping. I'm like, dude, what's wrong with this guy? And he's like, boys, that is how you play volleyball. Not talking about us, talking about how they played. And he's like, we're going to learn how to play like that because they were established. They played together for longer. They were obviously much more polished, right? And I just remember, wow, what a significant difference in response, right? He's excited. He's like, wow, these guys just saw what a top tier team can play like. Now, how can we get there? Versus, wow, we just got beat. Now I'm going to go make you feel worse in our next practice. I love that. I right? mean, that, that, that's brilliant. It, it was like, um, I'm sorry. Like, I just thought of that when you were talking about that. But just the distinction and how they approach losing. And that's something that, you know, I, te- I coach a lot of my little, my kids sports. And so that's one thing I never try and, hey, you're going to lose some games. 
right? Like sometimes you go up against somebody and they're better than you, or you play a really bad game and you have that honest moment of, hey, look, we didn't play great today, but here's what we're going to do to like refocus and get better going forward. You know, I love that. And it it's one of the things, especially as a coach, I, I would think about often, which is after a tough loss or defeat, is am I doing this because it's going to make me, me feel better or because it's going to help our team? Yes. And I think often what happens is the coach yells and screams because he's upset. He cares a lot. Right. You know, he's emotional because, it, you know, he just saw his team, you know, lose or what or play horrible. So he yells and screams and lets it out. And then he feels better because he's like, oh, I showed them. I let it out. But in the reality, is it the best thing for those athletes? Often not. No, often not. So it's like to me, it's like, can you as a coach during those tough moments, those tough losses, just pause for a second and be like, what is the most productive thing? that allows us to play better in the future, that allows us to become a better team and then do that instead of, oh, it's going to make me feel really, really good to yell and scream (laughs) and and then go that path. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too, as as we age, you know, I don't want to say we get callous, but we forget what it's like to be young, right? And we forget what it's like to be yelled at. So again, like you said, just pausing and taking that moment of, okay, they probably already feel bad. They already know they didn't play well. So like berating them and like dogpiling on top isn't going to help the situation. It, exactly. And there's some fascinating research behind like even the biology of it, which makes really? sense. Because if you think about it, after you lost, let's say you're that high school or college or whoever player, like sport is often your world. It's what you're known for. You're known as the guy who's on the varsity basketball team or football team. And you just got your butt kicked. So what happens like you feel a little threatened cortisol stress hormones go through the roof because your kind of status is threatened and you're a little bit embarrassed and you lost and all that stuff well what happens if then the person who is the authority in your life the person who you often like look up to for guidance your coach comes in and tells you that you're worthless you've just doubled that stress response yeah and, and now you're swimming in cortisol, which we know tells us that like if you linger with that stress for too long, A, you don't recover as well. B, you ingrain almost, you actually do, you ingrain this experience in your memory as like this negative thing, which puts you as this avoidant. And then there's this wonderful research that came out of professional rugby that shows like when you have those high cortisol moments that linger after a game, you actually play worse the next game, even if it's days or a week later. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, so I want to I bring this to coaching a little bit and finding who you are as a coach because when I was starting, right, and again, whew, it's been a hot minute, right? I think I started really like coaching in SNC like 22 years ago. And you kind of follow the path of the people you're around, right? So I was in a very like testosterone-laden environment and you kind of peacock around and, you know, like that authoritarian type environment. Now, I never felt authentic being like that, but you kind of follow what the other people are doing, at least initially. So I'm interested, if you were to mentor a young coach now, right, how would you help them 
better understand how to find their own authentic coaching self. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I love that. Um, So the way I kind of look at it is there is no quote unquote, like one optimal way to coach. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is just like you said, we're taking the things that work and applying them or filtering them through our skill set and our strengths. I am like by, you know, nature, an introverted person who's kind of nerdy and loves the science and all that stuff. So of course I'm going to have that, but I need a diverse array of tool sets as well, because I, I might play into that, but I need like these other things as well. So if I was mentoring a coach, I'd do the following things. I'd say, A, we need role models. It's like you said. But I don't want you just to pick one role model. I want you to experience a diverse array of styles through mm. different sports so you understand what coaching looks like. And actually, this was I, I lucked into this, but as a distance runner, um, my initial or my second coach who was in high school was a great coach was a sprint coach for 30 years and then took over the cross country team in the middle <laughs> of my my thing and had never coached cross country. Okay. And I loved it because he came in the first day and he was like, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't know anything about cross country, but I'm going to spend all summer because it was the summer between, I'm going to spend all summer reading about it, talking to the best coaches in the state and making sure I know what I'm doing. Okay. And I love that. But it also exposed me to the world of sprints, right? right. And then in, in college, again, distance runner, I was fortunate to be mentored by Tom Telez, who is famously known as, you know, the coach of Carl Lewis and Leroy Burrell, all these great sprinters and jumpers and, you know, a biomechanics expert. Well, you know, I was coming from high school where I didn't lift a single weight ever, you know, right. I didn't, I didn't do a whole ton of mechanics work, whatever have you. And you get exposed to this other style that is outside of your sport. And I, I, I think that that helps me a ton. But what I would say is even to take that a step beyond this is, especially in the SNC world, because I think not to blame you guys, but it, it often gets very insulated. For sure. And what I would say is, and you're in the perfect position often to do this. If you're high school, college, I would say, go out to the track. Spend it, spend a couple of days with the track coach, spend a couple of days watching the cross country team, go out to the football field. Same thing with different position coaches, basketball, volleyball, you know, baseball, softball, like go explore and spend time watching good coaches coach. And what you're going to get is, is an array of styles and seeing, even if they're bad, I should say, don't even just watch the good coaches, watch yeah. the quote unquote bad coaches, because you're going to pick up something where you're, you're going to see, maybe you're on the sideline and you're watching, you know, some, some coach, like, you know, make a kid do bear crawls until they're, you know, dying out on the field. And you're going to watch that kid. And you're going to be like, that, that didn't respond how, you know, you maybe <laughs> thought, thought it would, or that didn't right. help his discipline or whatever have you, like you would think. So expose yourself to a lot of different quote unquote mentors so that you can figure out what style works for you and what things you're going to pull from different people. Yeah. And I think it's something too where probably being too hard on myself, I have a tendency to do that, but you expect too much right out of the gate. 
right? It's like anything else. Like you have to kind of find your own unique style as you grow as a person, as you evolve, your coaching philosophy or how you coach tends to evolve as well, right? It's not like all of a sudden you put a stamp on yourself and like, okay, I'm good. I got it. You're always changing and evolving. Exactly. And that that is where I think you need that reflection piece, right? You know, evaluate. I mean, the coach, I'm sure it's the same as you. The coach I started as isn't the coach that I am now. Yes. You know, I did a lot of uh, dumb things specifically. I mean, I'll give you some examples or, you know, early in my coaching career, I had very little clue, I think, how to coach a team of women because it was such a foreign environment when you grew up again in sports that are you're on the men's team you're only surrounded by men etc cetera, etc cetera. and there's right. some some subtle but important differences on how you handle things so you got to figure that stuff out and yeah. i think some of that comes with just kind of being in the fire and experiencing it and then stepping back and being like okay did i did i handle this right or should I choose a different style for these athletes or these people? And, you know, having this skill set to be able to pivot when you need to. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that is true in coaching is you always have to be observing, right? Always be observing. And sometimes it's the mechanical, technical side, and sometimes it's the behavioral, you know, interpersonal side, right? Like if you say something and you can tell, like, ooh, that did not have the response that I wanted. Like if you're observing, you'll figure that stuff out, right? Yeah, it's it's the most important skill. Yes. So put 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 the cell phone aside and use your eyes and pay attention. And and what I would also say is like, you know, look for the moments where you can almost test those things out. You know, that's yeah. why I think often um the warm up is great for this because yes, people are going through and they're thinking about what they're doing, but it's often a little bit less intentional and you have a little space in between warm-up drills or whatever to kind of, you know, check in on people and make some comments and have some quick conversations where you get to see, oh, am I coaching this person in the right manner or are they not responding in the way that I think they should? Yeah, I love it. Okay, so another area that I'm fascinated by is the idea of using running or extreme conditioning as punishment. I know this is on uh, your hit list as well. Uh, Joel Jameson has obviously talked about this extensively, knows a ton about conditioning and talks about conditioning. But there's also like this negative impact, not just physiologically, but psychologically, right? Like most athletes don't enjoy that. So really it's a two-part question here. Number one, why are we still doing this? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear it out of your mouth. Why are we still using conditioning as a punishment tool? And number two, how can we make this better? Absolutely. It's one of my biggest pet peeves, you know, because all you're doing is you're ingraining that this thing sucks and I should avoid it. Mm -hmm. So I, why are we doing it? I think it's because it's tradition. Yeah. You know, we're old. We, we just hold on to things and be like, Oh, this is the way to do it. And it's simple right? What does it do? If the person says, okay, we're going to, you're going to go run laps or, you know, whatever, um, because of, you know, for conditioning and punishment, why do we do it? It's simple. It gives the coach the feeling of power and control, and it makes it seem like they're the dictator and the other person is like the subordinate. So it feels good to be like, oh, this is how I'm going to handle it. 
but it doesn't it doesn't work yeah all it all it does is like say okay i'm gonna try and avoid this when the coach is around or whatever have you because like i don't want to do the conditioning or punishment so I, I guess that would be my answer to the first question. And then the second one, remind me again, I forgot off the top of my Oh, head. no, 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 you're good. So we know kind of like why they're doing it. Like, how can we make this better? Like if somebody just keeps screwing up, right? Instead of just running them into the ground, what's a better strategy? What are other things that we can do instead? Get, get at why they're actually screwing up. I mean, it, that's, the, that's the hard part, but it's also the 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 most important part because like a kid doesn't show up late for practice every single day or all the time, unless there is a good reason for it. Right. You know, a either a he's not motivated for this sport and you either have to look at the motivation or realize that maybe this isn't the thing that they want to do. And you cannot force someone to fall, like fall in love with the sport or like be committed to it. Right. Um, if they're messing up on other things, it's again, like, why is this, why is this occurring? What's going on? And I think the thing to do to me is to teach, you know, in the class, I should step back in the classroom. If someone kept messing up on like a math problem or not turning in their homework, would we say, Hey, I'm going to send you out and run laps? (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> no, hopefully not. Okay. Hopefully not. But what do we do? We try and get to the bottom of it. Right. We try and say, okay, how is I am I I am the teacher. I am responsible for this person's learning. They are not completing their assignments. How do I get it where they will complete their assignments? What is the the roadblock in this way? And then you get creative and try and figure out different ways to reach this student so that you can work with them to, you know, figure this stuff out. Yeah. And, and often, you know, especially I look at it as well is like, is this normal behavior for them? Or is this something that like is new or different from that pattern? Because often what you see is if there's a big pattern change, let's say a kid who was motivated suddenly isn't, I don't need to punish them to get on, get them on, you know, get them here on time. I need to say, you know what? This kid used to be diligent. Now he's not. That's concerning from a life standpoint. Yeah. What's going on in his life? Yep. Yep. And I'm, I'm always, I'm always interested in what you can find out about somebody with just a quick check-in, right? So you mm-hmm. talked about it in the warm-up, but And again, I'm using the example, like, I don't see this as much in my, like, adult coaching because I work with, for the most part, high-level athletes. If there's something going on, I got enough time in between sets and reps to talk about that. But with some of the young kids that I coach, it's like, okay, this kid is continuing to do this thing wrong or seems unengaged. Okay, I'm going to let the rest continue while I bring that person over and not trying to actively single them out, but like, hey, we need to have a side conversation about what's going on. And maybe it's something I can control. Maybe it's something I'm not, but trying to get to the root of what's the real problem here. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? All of our basic, you know, psychological motivational needs are pretty similar. And they're like, if we fulfill them, we're going to be in a good space. So if we feel like, you know, we can make progress, that we belong, that this 
pursuit has some sort of meaning in our life, all of those things, generally our motivation is going to be in a good spot. So if you see a kid who, for whatever reason, isn't engaged, often the, the underlying problem is like something, you know, again, one of his basic psychological needs isn't fulfilled. So to me, it's, it's looking for those spaces to have those conversations. Um, just like you mentioned there on like, Hey, how do I check in? And as a coach, especially when I was coaching college athletes, one of the biggest things that I, or two of the best things that I think I did is at the track, I would just sit there until everyone left. And the reason why I was like, well, you know, if someone wants to come and talk to me after practice, I'm going to be here for it because maybe they don't want to come over and talk to me when other people are there. Sure. And then the other thing that I tried to do a lot is like, I would leave my office open door and say, Hey, in between classes, come stop by. Like you can hang out here for the, you know, 30, 40 minutes while you wait to go to your class instead of, you know, driving home or, or oh, walking cool. all the way to your dorm or what have you. And that again, created that space where it's like often, Someone would come in and hang out. And then after like 10 minutes, they'd be like, hey, coach, I need to talk to you about X, Y, and Z. In that, you look for those opportunities. You're like, oh, here's someone inviting me into this world, into their world and being a little bit vulnerable. Let's let's go there and see if I can help them out. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. So another thing that I want to touch on is what I would describe as like a performance mindset. And this is something that I try and instill with the young kids that I've worked with, with the developing, you know, like teenager or 20 something that's getting in maybe into professional sports and helping them understand this idea of, look, a big part of this is the process, right? Like we have to buy into the process, but at the same time, we don't always get to control the outcome, right? We would love to win every single time we play or be the best on the field, whatever, but it doesn't always work that way. So how would somebody like yourself help an athlete better understand, you know, buying into the process, but also understanding or like kind of untethering themselves from the outcomes? Yeah, I think that's one of the trickiest things, but most important things we do as coaches, because the world, especially the one that, you know, teenagers or young people occupy now is very outcome focused and it's very external focused, right? Yes. You go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and you're you're getting likes for what you do, how you look, and getting compared to pretty much anybody else in the world if you want to. Yes. So I think we have to start there and realize that it's a big issue. And I think one of our 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 as I said, our biggest things is how do we create some perspective with that kid to realize that well, the outcome might seem really important. Um if we focus on it too much, bad things are going to occur. Yeah. So I see it as my job as a coach. How do I create that perspective? Meaning how do I make sure that that person, the athlete realizes that, you know, although running or track or football or basketball means a lot to them, it is not their only thing that defines them in their life. Number yeah. one, number two, how do I create the perspective that, lets them realize that yes, wins or losses like matter and you care and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's high school, college, whatever, even professional, 
like no one really cares how you do except for like those who are intimately involved, your coaches, your teammates, and your parents who are going to love and support you even if you utterly fail. Right. Right. You know, right. And, and then the other thing that I, I try and do is also create some boundaries around it. So around outcomes, I say, like, look, it's OK to feel pissed off and upset and all that stuff. Feel that experience that. But we got to have some defined period where you move on and you get go to the next thing. Yeah. So often with my athletes, again, I'd be like, look, be upset, be upset all night. But when you wake up tomorrow morning. You need to let that go and get back on the process of getting better and what that entails. Yeah. And and the 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 process thing again is kind of in vogue, but it's in vogue for a reason. And what I try and do is again create examples or show, you know, show people possible almost like futures of what happens over the long haul if we follow this process now not yeah. guaranteeing like hey you're going to get better but giving examples where they can resonate with you know the yeah. the the walk on who goes from you know not starting to you know making being a starter in the playoffs of whatever you know championship yeah. like g- give those examples of people who stuck with the process got better and achieved great things, not because they had these lofty outcome focused things, but because day in and day out, they were focused on how do I get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. I love it. Yeah, I talk a lot about creating a vision, right? Because I don't think, not always, some athletes are are very uh, able to visualize and kind of see Others need a little bit more help with that. So I always talk about like creating a vision and helping them understand like, okay, here's what this process can help you do. Uh, another thing that I love is the old coach of the Indianapolis Colts, Chuck Pagano. He was famous for one-liners. But one of the things he always said was control the controllables, right? So you go out on Sunday, hey, you can control the way that you play, right? Like the things that you're doing. Did you make the right block? Did you make the right read? All of that. But you can't always control the outcome. So controlling the controllables, I think, is something that you can always hang your hat on. And again, I just think about the evolution in the 30 some years that I've been around sports and whatever. And man, everything was outcome focused <laughs> back in the day, right? It's It wasn't about the work or all that. There weren't all the cool taglines about do the yeah. work or whatever. It was just like, did you win? Did you lose? And now it's cool to see this evolution, at least to some degree, right? Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And I love that Chuck Pagano quote. It's spot on. Um, and I think, it, but that gets really at what are you rewarding as a coach? Yep. If if after after a game, you know, your your athletes, your players come up to you and the first thing you say is, well, you lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what does that do? But if, the, if you, if they come over and for instance, I would try and do this when, with athletes who are racing as I would be like, you know what? you executed really well and maybe that first lap or that finishing kick or give them something that they executed the process perfectly or you know what have you and you're focusing on those things that they can actually control you know the tactics the the effort the did you execute the you know whatever you're trying to do versus the things well you know you got beat well 
maybe that person was just better on that day. And no matter what you did, like they were going to win, you know, and you can't control that. You can't do anything about it. So you've got to focus on those process oriented things. And as a coach, like emphasize those things, because if you emphasize those things, then the athlete is going to realize and like internalize, oh, these are the things that matter to my coach. These are the things that matter to my team. And and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Okay. So I want to bring this full circle here because I believe the title of the book is Do Tough Things, correct? Do hard things. Do hard yeah. things. Okay. But the the concept is there or there's a lot of talk about toughness, right? Yeah. So if Steve Magnus had to define toughness right now today, how would he do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I wrote a book about it, so I should <laughs> I should have a great definition. Um, but here's here's what I would say. Um, it's feeling discomfort or uncertainty or anxiety, anything around discomfort, and then creating the space to navigate and take thoughtful or wise action. Mm. So to me, instead of seeing it as like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, it's called do hard things, but that's actually just to draw people into the book. Right. Um, Because titles are weird. But yes, what I really want to get at is like redefining this toughness where it's not again, that authoritarian, it's not bulldozing through, it's not putting your head down and ignoring emotions or what have you. It's the decision. Can I make the right decision in the right moment, even with the pressure, the stress, the fatigue? Well, how do we make better decisions? We create space to navigate, right? Because sometimes we're going to have to, you know, sometimes the tough decision is to, yes, persist, But other times the tough decision might be to quit. Like if you're in the middle of a a race or a a game and your hamstring starts pulling hard and you know if you keep playing, like you're going to tear that sucker. The tough decision is to say, you know what? I should quit even if this game or race or whatever matters a lot because this is going to set me back months and months and months. And then I'm not going to be there when it matters for, for the team. Right. Yeah, I think learning how to reframe things is important as well, right? So when I was coming up, uh, especially like in speaking, I think this is really relevant. But speaking was relevant to me at the time. I wish somebody would have said this to me when I was a young athlete because I would get very anxious, right? And I think a lot of athletes feel butterflies. They feel anxious. And somebody helped me reframe this one time when it came to speaking, they said, maybe don't think of it as anxiety. Think of it as excitement. And I was like, oh, damn. Like, that's a really good way to, to reframe things. And now there's not the negative connotation of, oh, I'm anxious. I'm going to mess up, whatever. It's, no, I'm excited because I'm passionate about this and I want to help people. Same thing in sport, right? Trying to find a way to reframe things. Like you just said, it's like, hey, toughness doesn't have to mean just gutting it out and like you're going to figure out a way to get it done. Like sometimes it is like, hey, today's not my day or this injury is is significant i need to step away so reframing i think can be really valuable yeah no i i think that's what you know and it's it's often the same way as that anxiety excitement is what we're trying to do is work with our biology and psychology and we know you know in psychology especially if we try and resist something a lot it's almost has this opposite opposite effect absolutely right? 
our yeah. brain goes, oh, you're trying to resist that? That must mean this is really important. So I'm going to turn the dial up on that. Yes. So yeah. instead of always trying to resist when we think of like, oh, I'm going to be tough and not, you know, ignore everything and just kind of push through. Sometimes we just got to work with what our body gives us and our, our brain gives us. And again, try and accept that and then figure out, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to make it on the other side? Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm just, it's funny as we're going through this, I just keep thinking of things that I went through as an athlete or things that I've tried to instill on my athletes. And yeah, I don't know. It's really fun, but okay. Big question time, my friend. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Steve Magnus one piece of advice, what would it be? Chill out. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was so the obsessive athlete type, and maybe I wouldn't say chill out. I'd have to explain myself, but I'd be like, performance isn't about being so obsessed with the thing because often perfectionism can backfire. Sure. And you you want to be in a place where you're enjoying it, where you are la- relaxed and loose enough where you can allow yourself to perform. So sometimes letting go a little bit is the way to get to the next level. It's not always like work work work. I had that in spades. Sometimes it's stepping back and allowing your body to absorb the work and your mind to absorb the work so that you can express it, which, you know, often requires letting go. Okay. So now I've got a follow-up question to your big question. Did you ever have a moment, like you talked about this in running, right? Like you never really got back to where you were in high school. Did you ever have a moment after that though, where you did just kind of let go or relax and run really, really well? And you're like, why was that so easy? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You know, it actually, it, it actually occurred when I wasn't in as good a shape but I was coaching collegiately and I was training with some of my top men on the team. And I was training with uh, two of the top guys uh, because I was like, well, they're really good. I'm still in pretty good shape. I can like push you on some of these workouts so that you can get better. So we would train sometimes separately from the other team and just be us couple. And I'd be like, I'm going to help you out. So my mindset was essentially like, okay, I'll help you out. And I'm going to, you know, lead all these reps and do all these things so that I can help you. And what happened is I ended up uh, on the couple workouts where we were like, okay, we're all really going to push. I ran way faster mm-hmm. than I ever did in a, as an athlete. And it, it was because I let go. I was so focused on them and didn't care about how fast I was running where I was just like, oh, you know, I'm really freaking fit now. Yeah. But so, so absolutely, I'd have those experiences. Yeah, it's it's just funny. Like again, I'm thinking about high school basketball, right? I into my senior year, I basically got went from starting to, hey, you're not gonna play anymore, and so there was this element of, hey, but now I can just play the way that I want to in practice, and it's like, hey, this is amazing. Like this is how I wish I could have played all the time, right? When you kind of dis disconnect from that, so that's really cool. Okay. Last but not least, we got our lightning round. So six fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Oh, that's a tough one. I know. That's that's incredibly tough. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm having like flashbacks here. Um, 
my career highlight as a coach. I think, I think it's, you know, there's a couple instances, but they all revolve around the same thing, which is an athlete who wasn't expected to comes through in the clutch yep. and like does something for the team. We had several instances of this where an athlete who maybe was a walk on or wasn't expected to score whatsoever, you know, for whatever reason, the meet comes down to the last couple events and we don't have anybody else. And this person just, you know, elevates their performance and comes through. And even though they, they might've, you know, go gotten sixth or seventh place, that was what clinched it for the yeah. overall team title. And as I said, I have three of those stories on the top of my head circling around and <laughs> they just, they, they just mean so much because you're just like, man, you did something and in, in elevated beyond even maybe what I thought was possible because like it meant something to not just you, but everybody around you. And that that's so cool. Yeah. Well, you're better than I am, man. Somebody asked me that, and I think I gave them eight different references. So <laughs> the fact that you can whittle it down to one succinct story is impressive. Uh, okay. Number two, of all the books you've written so far, do you have a favorite? That, that's like asking if you got a favorite child. child I, I, think. Know, I know. Uh, um, you know, I, I, I love them all, but this was probably my favorite to write because it was probably my most deeply personal because although I love all aspects of coaching or of performance and all that stuff at heart, I am always a, a coach and always an athletics coach. Yep. So this allowed me to explore things that I think I've been thinking about for a really long time. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. So number three. As someone who wrote quite a bit in the past, I'm really interested. What does your writing process look like? Do you have like a daily rhythm or routine you follow now? I, I try and write in the mornings okay. uh, because that's when my brain functions best. I'll, I'll give it to you pretty simpler. I get up, I go for an easy run, I come back, I get some coffee, and then I sit down and write. Okay. Um, I write either at my desk or if I'm struggling at my desk, I go, go to a coffee shop and that's where, where I get it done. I try and throw my phone in the other room and, you know, turn the internet off my, uh, my Wi-Fi off my computer and, you know, then try and get it done. And do you have like a, a okay, we just talked about outcome-based goals. Do you have like a time period? Do you have a number of words you want to write or is it just like I when I'm done, I'm done? I, I don't, I, I use, I, I, I kind of use the athletic sense of like, if I'm falling apart and, and <laughs> yes. like, you know, fatigue, then yep. it's time to call it a day. Yep. If, if I'm not, I just keep going until, you know, so, uh, often I have a hard stop, but it's, it's kind of like that, you know, it's like trying to pay attention and some days I'm feeling great and I'm just cranking laps and other days you're out there and you're just like, you know, what's the point? <laughs> I, 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 yes. I need to call it early, like yes. go in, get, get hydrated and, and come back tomorrow. I love it. Yes. I've had both of those days myself. Okay. Number four, what is the hardest part about writing a book? Um, when you've written and read the book, like you've read it so many times, you're done with it essentially, but it all mixes together. And you stop seeing it clearly. Mm. 
and you're like going through the editing process and trying to cut things and all that good stuff and and turn it from kind of this rough draft into this nice polished piece. I hate that part because again, you've written it, you've read over it, edited it so many times that it's hard to see the the forest from the trees. So yes. that part drives me nuts. So I've never written a book, but you know, created manuals, DVDs yeah. that have scripts, all that stuff. Kind of a good litmus test for me was when I'm just absolutely sick of looking at it, that's when it's probably about done. Exactly. You know, like exactly. you almost hate your own project at that point. You're like, okay, we got to be close here because well, I'm almost done. Exactly. Um, okay. Number five. If you could tell every young athlete in the world that's involved in sports just one thing, what would it be? Oh, gosh. That's tough. You got some tough lightning rounds. I know. These sorry. Are, these, these are deep. <laughs> no. Um, every athlete. Um, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I would I would probably say something like very trite, but important, which is like, make sure you are enjoying it, like mm-hmm. find joy in the process. And yes. if you can do that over and over again you're going to be motivated and you're going to be in a good spot. If it starts to become a chore, like for too long, then you need to go back and figure out how to find joy in it because uh, your performance is going to suffer and you're, you're not going to be doing it over the long haul. Yeah. I love it, man. Okay. Number six, this one's a little bit easier. What's next for Steve Magnus? Uh, A vacation. Oh, there you go. Where are you going? (laughs) So I don't know yet. My wife are tr- and I are trying to figure this out, but I, I love writing. Marketing is something that, you know, doesn't come as naturally, but I do it because I want to get the book out here. But right. af- uh, book writing is like, you know, signing up for a hundred meter sprint and then realizing that you're doing a marathon in the, in the middle of it. Yep. So once I finish this marathon of, of, of uh, whatever, I'm taking a vacation, you know, we're going to, my wife and I are going to go to some beach somewhere and and not get on the internet and not do any podcast. No offense. I, I, I love, love it. what you guys are doing, but just step, <laughs> up, step away. I love it, man. Well, you deserve it, dude. And Steve, this has been awesome. I knew it would be, but it was great to catch up. Love the book. I know I messed up the title, but only because I love the book um, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm about halfway through and I'm telling you, I told you this before the show, but I think it's your best work. So you should be very proud. But where can my listeners find out more about you, the book and all the great work that you're doing? Yeah, you can get do hard things at any, you know, wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. You can check me out on all social media at Steve Magnus. And then you can see all my books, all my work at stevemagnus.com. Love it, man. I'll make sure I get all of those things in the show notes so you can find it easily. But again, Steve, man, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate the conversation. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Steve Magnus. Really hope you enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I found myself constantly coming back to and thinking about the coaches that I've worked with over the years and how they've impacted or molded me. And, you know, as you go through an episode like this, I think it's powerful to be reflective and it's also powerful to think forward and think about how you want to continue to grow and evolve as a coach. And I think Steve and his book, Do Hard Things, can absolutely teach you so much about who you are right now 
as well as the person or the coach that you want to grow into. So again, really hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Steve. He's such an amazing guy. And again, if you haven't picked up Do Hard Things, I really do believe it's his best work to date. So if you enjoyed this episode, please do one small favor for me. If you're not already a a subscriber to the show, do that right now iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, the Amazon Store, wherever you go to consume podcasts, go there right now, hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.